Express letter. Express letter? Who could be that anxious to get in touch with me? Your Uncle Samuel, I imagine. It's from Craven Castle. Craven Castle? Not a letter from there in 15 years. What is it? It's for William, my uncle's butler. He says it's urgent that I come to Craven as soon as possible. Oh, Gerald, I'm sorry. Wait. Until you and I are married. Oh, well, darling, that won't be for two weeks. And if it's urgent, you'd better go right away. But we scarcely know each other. We don't mean anything to one another. Oh, I suppose you're right. Sorry, darling, I'll get back just as soon as I possibly can. After all, I'm having a wedding in a couple of weeks and I wouldn't like to miss it. Hey, neighbor. How long has it been since you had yourself a big, hot, screaming ear full of forgotten horrors? <laughs> well, that's too long. Pull in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the Forgotten Horrors podcast with your hosts, John Woolley, Michael H. Price, and my own self, Wolf Brand Jack. And thank you, Michael H. Price and Wolf Brand Jack, for once again bringing us into the Forgotten Horrors podcast. Michael Price on the other end. I'm John Woolley, producer, engineer. Joey Hambrick is with us. And this time around, we're talking about not the survival thriller from 2010 with the same title, but the 1953 3D picture, The Maze. Oh, yeah. And um, William Cameron Menzies, its director. Great, great favorite movie of mine since I first saw it on TV as a kid. And, of course, on TV in those days, you couldn't see 3D. But it was always fun to watch it on a flat screen that is without 3D effects. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could spot where the 3D effects must have been. That's right. And also, you know, some of it has a 3D effect even in 2D. I'm thinking about the two women in the maze at the end. Oh, yeah. Has a very much of a 3D effect. And the sound design, Michael. The very sound much. design is some, you know, they go back and the, some of the sound is buried deep and some of it's up front. It's even, almost even 3D without the 3D. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost stereo with a monophonic soundtrack. You know, that's true. That's absolutely right. And it's almost authentic Scottish settings in Hollywood, California. They built, a, uh, they built an epic set for a, what's really a small movie, but it feels big. It does feel big it was because of the more, settings, I think. Yeah, because yeah. of the settings. Yeah. And the and that wonderful maze. I mean, where was that maze when Kubrick needed it for The Shining? Boy, no kidding. <laughs> that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, it's uh, it's also, you know, uh, at the very first when they've got the 3D block lettering, it's a little bit off putting. And then 
when uh, the uh, actress uh, Catherine Emery, I guess it is, comes forward to tell her story, yeah. you know, you can see that that's supposed to be 3D. But toward the end, um, there's some 3D effects that are plenty scary, uh, even without 3D. Quite so. And you're getting the big revelation of the picture. I suppose we shouldn't give it away. Um, you get that big plunging scene. Mm hmm seems right in your face even without the 3d effect well you know i'm going if you indulge me with a little personal reminiscence here yeah. you know i had always wanted to be a writer like you michael and and you know i got my first rejection slip when i was 14 so my first story when i was 20 yeah but my mother was a depression era okie and she always said this writing is fine but get something you can fall back on so my degree from oklahoma state university is in biology oh yeah I have finally found a way to meld that degree and what I do now for a living in the phrase I learned as a biology major, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Oh, yeah. And that means, and it was, it was, a, it was a theory, but it was pretty much taken as fact. I think it's since been debunked. I, I've got my degree in 70. I think it's been debunked since then, but... Um, it's essentially about how the development of an embryo follows along the pathway of the life forms from which evolved. Correct. So it goes through all of those. And that's about as close as probably we want to get to talking about the revelation at the end. <laughs> Ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Thanks, Mom. It's glad, <laughs> glad to know that. <laughs> that's, that's a wonderful thing to know. And... and... <laughs> Although, although you, you might get a couple of say what reactions. <laughs> That's true. <exactly>. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, theory that the picture puts forth. And of course, um, I think, I think your phrase intellectually works, although in practical terms, it may or may not. That's right. That's right. In real life terms. Well, uh, uh, Joey will probably be wanting us to do a, a synopsis pretty quickly. So essentially, it's about a young British woman and her um, fiance, who's from Scotland, and they're oh, getting ready to be married, obviously. And then he gets a message from his ancestral home in Scotland, goes back there and then disappears. And it's yeah. like a, an absolute gothic setup. She doesn't hear from him. She doesn't know. So she and her aunt... Uh, go out and uh, show up at the uh, at the castle and find that he seems very very different and there is a strange secret when joey and i were watching it was like it's all of these um had i but known kinds of things you know mm -hmm. uh and all these gothic trappings with the castle and with the brooding hero and with a terrible secret and who all of a sudden cuts himself off of, from the viewpoint character, his fiance. Oh, and, yeah. you know, all of this, it's, but then I was talking to some friends of mine, some uh, writer friends of mine that you probably know. And I think, you know, Don Hutchison of course, uh, from up in, in Canada. And, uh, and, and, uh, I was talking to him and uh, Tony Davis and Peter McGarvey. We do a Zoom. And those guys are all pulp guys, of course, and writers. And, and they said, well, you know, don't forget, this is very, very Lovecraftian. <laughs> and I had never thought about that. I, 
I didn't, I had not yet discovered Lovecraft, uh, his short stories, mm-hmm. until after I, I had discovered The Maze. And when I finally picked up a, a Lovecraft volume and got into it, Lovecraft's motto must have been, I've got a damn good story here, but I'm not going to let you read it. You've got to wallow through a whole lot of, <laughs> whole lot of esoteric adjectives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the story that Lovecraft wrote called Arthur German reminded me immensely of the maze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About the about the ancestral secret that drives a, uh, I suppose you could say, aristocratic fellow once discovered, that drives him to uh, a state of, of madness. Yes. And, yes. Uh, it. it uh, but I I was aware of Jane Eyre mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. maze. Okay. I mean Richard Carlson. He was he was he was the he was the the, the B movies great intellectual figure. You know, he was, he was that high forehead guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, usually yeah, yeah. played men of science and reason. Mm-hmm. That's right. So to see him uh, kind of shift gears into a Rochester state, and I don't mean Jack Benny's butt. Right. No, no, right. We're, we're talking Jane Area, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, to see, but to see this Sir Gerald, as he's called in the picture, mm-hmm. uh, become in essence a Rochester figure, as in Jane Eyre, and... Uh, Wow, what a what a what an amazing what an amazing transformation, and of course, Carlson. I mean, he was he was he was just short of being a a prototype for for, for the sub geniuses, uh, Bob Dobbs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's true. I haven't thought about the sub geniuses for a while. Are they still around? I don't know. I'm sure there's there's still traces in Dallas. You might defi- um, you might uh, you might uh, uh, describe what the subgenius uh, cult of the subgenius was, or the Church of the Subgenius. The, the, as far as <laughs> a Dallas organization, the Church of the Subgenius, was in fact a gigantic practical joke played by a group of avant-garde writers, artists, musicians, etc. And their their symbol or their figurehead was. Uh, a father knows best looking figure named Bob Dobbs came right out of art clips from the fifties. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's straight, uh-huh. straight out of the, straight out of the uh, uh, clip book of, of uh, like I said, father knows best. Uh-huh. Sure. Authority yeah. Figure. Yeah, absolutely. Complete with the, the, the upright and rigidly clenched pipe in the teeth. But, you know, I've never thought about Carlson as being the model for that, but he's right in there, isn't he? He, he, he was right. You know, it, it's, he, he, could have, he could have played the, the lead in, in a Father Knows Best episode. Uh, well, and, you know, when you think about him doing I Led Three Lives, oh, yeah. uh, which is kind of a serious Father Knows Best in some ways, but, I mean, with the, all the voiceover and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, he was. He was the kind of a hero that worked really well when the science fiction in horror films started kicking in most of science fiction in the early fifties. I mean, he did three, what he did like, what, three um, uh, horror films just in 1953 magnetic monster and the maze. And, and he did, did he do it came from outer space? Yeah. He was in, it came from outer there space right? and, and then and creature from the black lagoon after that. And he was, he was the favored player of Ivan Tors. That's right. The, the inventor right. of the of the uh, 
um, kind of almost pedantic science fiction yeah, movie. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, think about uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Sure. The movie, yeah. And, well, you know, but Carlson, really, that's he hadn't done much horror or mystery or anything like that before 53. And once the maze and magnetic monster and it came from outer space came along, he was pretty much typecast, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Riders to the Stars. Riders uh, to the Stars, exactly. One of, yeah. one, of, one of my great favorites here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he had started out as a kind of a bland juvenile leading mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, appeared... Let's see, where did I first, I think he first showed up in an Abbott and Costello picture mm -hmm. and, uh, and just, you know, persisted for the long term. I, uh, I've followed him, oh gosh, as, as far into his career as uh, did a lot of episodic television like uh, Cannon in the uh -huh. 70s, uh -huh. uh, Lancer. Uh, and of course, he's got that, that wonderful uh, rodeo guy figure in the Valley of Guanji. That's right. Yeah. Great, great that. yeah. 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 That's right. Exactly right. And then again, there's I Led Three Lives, which I think is the first, about the first time I encountered him and then put that together because I was, as you know, the, as anyone who listens to this knows, because I'm incessant about it is uh, I was the president of the Bird Eye Gordon fan club. And yep. I thought Tormented was the greatest thing since Pimento Cheese. And <laughs> he was right there as that jazz cat in it. And yeah, you know, another, it, another break with the cold intellectual. Yes, uh, exactly. It yeah. was another break with the cold intellectual. And I, I've always liked, I liked him in the power, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he did very well in that. And it's, he just started being typecast, but, you know, there's a lot of things that could be worse than being typecast as a science fiction and horror star. Well, you know, I mean, I've, I I, th I probably first noticed uh, Carlson in The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes, yes. Uh, and of course, I got to see more of this guy. He's good. And he wasn't your he wasn't your Jock Mahoney type. He wasn't no. your, your virile leading man figure. He was just a guy of intellect and determination. Mm -hmm. And uh, if if unable to solve a problem with brawn, he usually figured it out with his brains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was he was definitely a brainy protagonist in yeah. uh, in, in all of the stuff that he did. Except sometimes he he didn't you know he didn't mind being uh, a, a an antagonist or a or a, a you know a, a figure of a, a tortured figure like he is in, in Tormented. Yeah, that's where he goes in, in Tormented certainly, and he's. Uh, in a sense, he's very much that way in the maze. In a sense, he is very tormented in the maze. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that damn thing seems so British and so Scottish, and it's just not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, Veronica Hurst is British, I guess. I mean, she's born in Malta, and she was a British actress. But her, the, the woman who plays her uh, aunt, Catherine Emery, is she's from Alabama. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, and Michael Pate's in there, of course, and he played, you know, he played a lot of uh, American Indians and, and like, a lot of bad guys. And yeah, a and lot a of bad guys. And but a he's cowboy a, vampire. Yeah, and a cowboy vampire in, in uh, Curse of the Undead. Right. But but he's uh, he's Australian. I mean, and so there's and there's Hillary Brooke, you know, and she's oh, American. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's got, I was frankly, when Joey and I were watching it, it came up and said, shot in Hollywood, what is it, Hollywood, USA, Joey? Is that what they said? Yeah. You know, I was surprised because it really felt like it was an overseas picture. 
Oh, very much on the very much on the Allied artist lot. Of course, that was monogram. Uh, that was monogram's lot. Sure, sure. A big picture by monogram or Allied artists standing. Um, of course, Allied artists had evolved from monogram in an attempt to become a major studio. Mm -hmm. Attempt, I think, is the correct term, isn't it? <laughs> and they, 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 Mon monogram made its first million dollar picture in the post-war years of course that was with the uh, aesthetic and monetary help of uh the king brothers uh, mm -hmm. mob mobsters in the movie business and, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and and the the more allied artists would strive to become big as in uh, a nice remake of the hunchback of notre dame or mm -hmm. a wonderful murder mystery called the big circus with with vincent price oh yeah yeah that's a great picture and every time you'd see them striving to become something bigger, they'd turn around and make another Bowery Boys movie. Well, which is what, you know, I mean, look at Universal making the horror films. Yeah, you know? right. same thing. They had to do that. And it, you know, we should say probably something, Michael, about uh, William Cameron Menzies, because as a, he was as a director, he may not have been, um, I guess, I'm not going to say top drawer because he was a, he was he got a lot of work. But as an art director, he worked with the biggest pictures, yeah. the biggest studios. He won the very first Oscar ever for art direction. Yeah. 1927 for a Norman Talmadge picture called The Dove. He was the art director on that wonderful Douglas Fairbanks Senior Thief of Baghdad, yep. the art director on Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, yeah. And... Uh... And a regular Oscar bait figure, uh -huh. uh, aspiring to direct, he directed uh -huh. and art directed together as early as the '30s. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think the I'm I'm thinking of I'm thinking of the Spider. Oh, what a great little picture that is! Lovely, lovely movie within a movie, uh -huh. and uh -huh. uh, and and one of the first audience participation pictures. That's if you right. That the 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 the, mis the stage play setting of the movie. Menzies designed the spider so that it would feel as though the auditorium in which you are sitting watching the movie is part of the stage in the movie. Mm -hmm. Part of the action. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's quite an amazing. And, and of course, uh, his other big picture of this early 50s period was um, Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars. Right. Another baby boomer favorite. Still packs a resonance, I'll tell it you. It does indeed. And, you know, I, as I understand it, The Maze was his last theatrical uh, movie. Mm -hmm. um, and he did TV. He did that uh, a series called Halls of Ivy with Ronald Coleman and his wife, I think, Benita Hume, her name. Sure. And uh, it was a, a, a campus kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, I found as I was researching for, for our podcast this time around, in 1955, he directed a pilot for a series called Johnny and the Gaucho. Mm -hmm. And that was to be featuring Senior Wences and his <laughs> puppets and his like hand puppets and everything. And just the idea of the guy who did the art direction for Gone with the Wind and Senior Wences combined <laughs> just really struck me as very, I would give anything to see that pilot. 
I just can't imagine what that must be like. For you kids out there who are not, what, in your 70s? Joey, do you know Senior Wences? Yes, I've heard of You've heard of Senior Wences. Okay. He was the one that did the hand. He would put the eyes on his hand. Yeah, he would He would put makeup on his hand and mm -hmm. manipulate it like a like a ventriloquist dummy. And then say, it's all right. It's all right. Okay, he was one who right. opened up. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. That's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know about Senior Wences. But he was a big figure of of baby boomers growing up i think he was all over the, the variety shows and stuff big favorite big favorite of, of the ed sullivan audience big favorite of ed sullivan that's right so yeah well i think um it's it's it, some might say it's a little talky and it's a little slow did you find it that way in the beginning no i find the atmosphere very compelling uh, the only deficiency is in the limited ability to deploy special effects. Yeah, yeah. And yet the necessary special effects are so subtly handled that they never become laughable. No, no. Which they could very easily. Oh, yeah. Given yeah. the subject matter. What did you what did you make of the intermission that they have? <laughs> what what's that about? There's intermission in the film. And it's not an hour and 20 minutes or something. It's, I wonder why that was, uh, uh, was like, like it was a roadshow deal or something. I, sus I suspect it was an attempt at, at epic pretensions. I see. I see. Well, and that's, that's, a good, that's as good an explanation as any. You pick up a fine print of it on YouTube. Take a look at it on YouTube. And uh, I'd recommend it. It's very different, though. Yeah. It's a different picture. Absolutely. So, all right, Michael, what's going on? What have you got out there that uh, we want to we want to um, we want to mention that uh, folks might be interested in looking over and perhaps buying? Well, uh, we're to keep we're, us on the air. We're still stumping for uh, the graphic novel Lone Star Larceny. You're getting some good reviews on that. Yeah, it's it's been well received, and uh, I I probably do it a whole lot differently today than I did when i was compiling the book last year right uh, because but that's because you've got the hard copy in hand and you can look at it and say gosh i wish i'd done that differently <laughs> that's right exactly. uh, when it's but, already uh, out yeah you know they, they, a a 350 year history of crime in texas well that's that's kind of pretentious it's kind of pretentious but it's not because you tell it in so many different ways yeah you know, yeah, it, there's it, you tell it as in your in your kind of Dadaistic, if you don't mind my using that term, <laughs> uh, turn with your uh, your your existential um, dialogue in old comic book stories. Uh, yep. You do it in prose. You do it in original comic pieces or, or or graphic novel pieces. You do it a lot of different ways, Michael. And I don't think it's it, anyone would ever look at honestly. I don't think anyone ever look at anything of yours and say, man, that's pretentious. <laughs> We're trying to have fun <laughs> and deliver the kind of books that in this case, Dave Furman and I would look for if we were shopping for a book. Sure. Absolutely. And I found out a long time ago that if you write or draw or make noise to please yourself, you're probably going to please a great many people. Or none. I've been fortunate in that respect. I, uh, I have uh, connected well. Mm -hmm. with, you have. 
with the paying customers yeah. and uh, that's well hey maybe maybe and of course you get overconfident and the next thing you do you fall flat on your face <laughs> well we're blessed to have we're blessed to have people that follow us and, and get our stuff and and again i'd like to just mention uh, old fears the 40th anniversary edition that has now been picked up for a fourth year <laughs> by uh, by um, sony pictures television i've been yep. optioned for a fourth year and we've got i think I hadn't written any fiction for quite a while, and I've got a fiction piece in Old Fears that starts things off that's in the Old Fears universe, as it were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of that and, and really proud of what Ron did. Ron Wolf, my co-writer, also did a story in it. And um, I'd like for you all to just look at it on um, online, and, and maybe it might be something, as my old friend David McKenzie used to say, if you like that sort of thing, that might be the sort of thing you'd like. <laughs> so there we terrific, go. Terrific novel, and, and it's funny that... Uh, Old Fears, your novel, collaborative novel, and Forgotten Horrors, my collaborative uh, original book, both date back right at 40 years. They do, right at 40 years. That is amazing. I guess, you know, eventually if we keep after, it'll be a career, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Don't, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Well, now we have heard from uh, several uh, readers about uh, possible uh, films for next time. And um, we may go ahead and do one of those. And uh, I'm trying to think, doggone it. Uh, what is the film that we were looking? Oh, we're looking maybe at The Black Raven. Oh, I think that's a wonderful choice. The Black Raven is, is uh, vintage PRC. Vintage PRC, indeed. George Zuko, the name above the title on that one. And it's uh, it's very it's a very interesting little piece. As you uh, we were talking before we we did the podcast, it's like it's really is one of those things like which protagonist or which antagonist is worse. <laughs> and uh, Ron Ringhofer, our our friend uh, who listens to the podcast, suggested that we might want to uh, look at Black Raven. And uh, Michael, I'm game if you are. That's a good choice. That's a very good choice. Well, let's do it. And uh, until then, thank you all for, for listening. Look online, if you will, for Michael H. Price's books and music for my books. And uh, I'm John Woolley. That's Joey Hambrick over there is our producer engineer, Michael H. Price. Yep. Uh, and uh, Michael, let's do it again soon. Mighty glad. All right, pal. <laughs> <laughs>